Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Wildlife Control Podcast. This is episode three. And on this episode, I have a very special guest, somebody who I have a ton of respect for. His name is Steve Demore, also known as Dr. Critter. Since the mid-90s, he's been working in our industry. Uh, he was one of the founders of Wildlife Solutions, built that company from zero to $5 million a year powerhouse. Uh, he's been on National Geographic. He's assisted the state of Florida with some of today's wildlife control laws and also was a regional director for the National Wildlife Control Operators Association. That is an incredible resume, man. How did the, all this happen? Well, you know, I think it's really just, it's kind of in my blood. Um, I've been interested and passionate about animals and catching animals and and all of that since, for really for my entire life, as long as I can remember. A few years ago, my mom gave me a... Uh, framed picture that she had found in a drawer somewhere. And, and in this photo, I was probably four years old. I'm in our backyard laying under one of those uh, plastic kiddie pools. It's like upside down. I'm laying under it, holding a string. And the string goes and wraps around a tree and goes down to a cardboard box with a stick. And even at like four years old, I was out there trying to create makeshift traps and, and catch squirrels. Um, so it's just, it's, it's been my passion and my interest really my entire life. Um, but where that sort of natural interest um, intersected with it becoming a profession is, I think, similar to something that I heard you, uh, you mentioned earlier. It's funny how, how we have some strong similarities here. When I got out of high school and entered college and was really trying to figure out where I was going to fit in as I was going to school, you know, what I was studying biology and, and uh, just didn't quite know what career path was going to really match up with my, you know, really hands-on passion for outdoors and, and wildlife and everything. I was, I was having a particularly bad day. I was working at a restaurant and had just got really crapped on by a bunch of customers and, uh, you know, I was in college at the time and I'm driving home from work, just really having one of these moments where you're like, oh my gosh, is this what I want to do with my life? And I pulled up to an intersection and there was a critter control truck next to me. And I looked at this truck and I was like, oh, now I could do that. You know, it just, this like, it was like a light bulb came on in my head and at that point really started my, my exploration then of this field um, as, as a career option and really led to, you know, the, the series of stepping stones that has brought me to where I am today. Yeah, I, I have a lot of those similarities. I, I wasn't four years old, but I was probably, I think, 10 years old. My dad taught me how to trap and he's a fishing charter captain, so he hunts a lot too. So I was always just getting after it. And I, I grew up at the beach and if I wanted to go hunting, I had to wait for him, but there's critters in my backyard, of course, that I could trap at any time. So, you know, I, I definitely can relate there. Um, yeah. I, I literally remember the exact moment I was on. I mean, if you're familiar with Jacksonville beach, 16th Avenue South. Um, I, my parents live still to this day about 10 blocks from the beach and I used to surf a lot. 
and I would always tell my mom before I could I could drive and she would take me to the beach so I can check the waves and I remember us going towards the beach and I saw a zebra striped truck and I don't even think I caught the name on it but just saw that and was like wow what was that my sister was like yeah you've never seen those before I'm like no what what is that I had no idea and then finally I think I figured out the name and went to y'all's website and started to learn about it and uh you know just my my uh imagination grew from there um and you know led me to where I am so you know it is really amazing that uh but that's kind of how it starts for a lot of guys though. You know, they see somebody um, doing it. And I think the first, the first company that, that was, that was out there probably was Critter Control. Huge respect for Kevin Clark too, and what he built um, over there. But uh, it's amazing. So, you know, what I want to know is this, you know, we talked previously about it and having the experience that you have, um, building a company from, from one locations to multi-state $5 million a year um, and all the experience that you have over the years. If, if you were to start today or, or if you were to give advice to someone today, who's running a one man show, you know, they're doing 150 grand to 200 grand a year in revenue, maybe more than that, hopefully more than that. And it's just them and they want to grow their business. Cause that's what this show is about what would you tell them or, or what would you do if you know, okay, I want to grow my business. It's just me. I'm doing all the work. I'm doing everything. I have no help. How do I get from 200 K or, or 300 K to a million as fast as possible so I can make more money and, and hopefully help some people along the way. Well, I think we just, uh, you just asked a question that could lead to an entire podcast series, but, um, you know, before I even really answer that question, you know, you would have the letter end of that. You had said, you know, the idea of how do I get there to where I can make more money? And, and the one thing I would say that I would, I guess, sort of caution or prepare everybody for that I learned through this is that the idea of your company making a lot more money is not always as glamorous as it sounds, because with increases and leads and projects and ultimately revenue also comes increases in expenses. So there's not always this proportional uh, outcome that the more money and the more revenue we generate, the more money I get to put in my pocket. Uh, that's not always, you know, that doesn't always happen. A lot of times it doesn't happen. Uh, because your expenses increase and you might find yourself doing twice the revenue, twice the work, committing twice the amount of energy and time and still bringing home and putting in your pocket the same or not much more than you were before. So, you know, I think it, everybody as they, as they come up with, uh, you know, their own individual plans of, and, and their vision of what they see for their company and their future should really kind of consider that. Um, and make sure that they have really planned well to ensure that with growth of their business comes growth in their profit and comes growth in their own take home at the end of the day. Um, so just something to keep in mind because size doesn't always equate to, you know, a bigger paycheck. But, um, you know, when we, and I say we, because when I, I started wildlife solutions, I, went to a childhood friend of mine and invited him to come and join me. 
Um, and because uh, I just, you know, I was excited about the idea of doing this and I was excited about this, this thing I was starting and I really wanted to share that with somebody that, that experience with somebody that I, uh, you know, had love for and, and appreciated and valued spending time with. And so um, I had a friend of mine that came and, and walked this, a lot of this path with me. Um, but when we started this, there was no roadmap. There were no companies doing what, what we eventually did. Um, there was Critter Control, which we're all familiar with. Um, it was a franchise company, even at the time when I got into this in the mid-90s. But beyond that, there were, it was mostly just kind of small operators. There was an individual here, an individual here. Um, there weren't really companies that I was aware of at that time that were doing multi-location or multi-state operations that were all, you know, in-house one company. So when we started and just kind of started with nothing but an idea and a few dollars in our pocket and, and just really a lot of um, energy, it, we were kind of blazing our own trail. There wasn't a, a, a cleared path or, or a roadmap that we already had that, uh, that we were going to follow. We just had to learn by, by trial and error uh, and, uh, and sort of navigating this, this jungle on our own. Um, and through that, I think I gained a lot of insight, a lot of wisdom of what worked and what didn't work that I'm happy to share with you and, your listeners. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess kind of the circle back to the question, if I remember correctly, which was, you know, what are some of the things you do to, to really launch your company forward? Um, you know, what I believe the key is in success in, in this business largely or initially is just getting the leads. And it was different, far different at the time when I started this in terms of the types of advertising and the paths you go down in order to get leads. Um, you can be the greatest salesman, the greatest company, have the greatest business model. But if you can't even get the leads, you can't really do much with, with what you got. So that's really, I think, you know, one of the most important keys in this business is really having a very good plan for how to market your business, how to get the word out there, how to get, customers who have a need to be able to find you at the time when they need you. Um, that, that's really how it all starts. And then being able to then capitalize on those leads, being able to deliver the service you promise, make the sales, close the deals, and, uh, and have satisfied, happy customers that are, that are pleased with a, a quality final product that you deliver. Um, is then, you know, the, the final goal in that. Um, but, uh, and, and I, I feel like I'm kind of running in a lot of directions here. So help me to refocus on, so, on what you want me to say here for me. You touched on something that's, that can be very difficult here. And, and the thing that stands out um, that you said is keeping the customers happy. You know, as you grow, that becomes more difficult in my experience. I don't know if it is for you, but as you grow, it becomes more difficult because as the owner, you can't talk to every single customer 
and review every single job that is being done, especially when you get up to, you know, eight, 10, 12 employees or more, um, your, your little special touch is just not there anymore. So, you know, systems and processes, how important is that as you grow to make sure that there's accountability and that everybody's on the same page to keep those customers happy? Gosh, you know, you really can't stress the importance of that enough. And that is a very, very tricky thing to navigate. Again, you know, and I don't mean to sound like the old timer who walked uphill both ways to school, but in today versus when we started, we have an entirely different world of technology and being able to communicate and keep record keeping and things like that that didn't exist um, when, when we started, but, but all came in came to pass during our tenure, uh, during the lifespan of wildlife solutions. So we got to, you know, try new technologies and utilize all that. But that, you couldn't be more right about the fact that if you are a one-man operator, every job you go to, you know, you're going to make sure that they get your very best because you're putting your name on it. It's, I mean, you have, hopefully, as an owner, you have a sense of pride in your company, you want your company to have a good reputation. You want every client to get the very best that you have to offer. That's, that's the way most business owners feel. But every time you create another layer underneath you, that starts to get diluted. Uh, because I, I don't really know any way to say that this is, would not be the truth, but, but employees will rarely ever have the same passion and commitment to the work that an owner does or to the final outcome that an owner does. They're there to work and earn a paycheck. It doesn't mean that they don't take pride in their work, but they just don't have the same vested interest in that final product as you do as the owner, because that, how that client feels about their experience at the end of the day makes a difference in whether or not you're going to, you know, your, your company is going to succeed or fail, whether all your investment in time, you know, was worth it or was lost. So, you know, trying to get employees to have an owner's mentality is super hard. Um, if I had it to do over again, you know, one of the things I, I, one of the paths I probably would have followed at that time was to have figured out a way to have given more of our quality people some sort of true ownership interest in the company, in the business. Because, uh, it, it, again, it's just really hard to expect an employee to care like an owner, to act like an owner, uh, to put in the the hours and the same amount of energy than an owner would when they don't own it. You know, um, I, I would have looked for a way to do that. Now we, we found some alternate ways that we tried to do that. We tried to, to create um, a brotherhood within our company and to create this, this feeling of loyalty and commitment and you know we were we were like a fraternity you know we were this brotherhood and we we wanted to to really create this bond and this spirit um within our team 
and that was largely successful. Um, we had a core leadership group of individuals that we trusted that had worked with us for a long time, and we called them our uh, our regulators, which is a, a reference to the, the old Young Guns movie, which uh, yeah. which we love. And um, but they were they we called them our regulators, and you know they were people who not only did we trust, but you know they would work any hours, work weekends. They they were like they were like owners in a sense, but they didn't really have an ownership stake, which is what which is something we really should have done with them to have really kept them um, you know for the long term. But these guys, because we embodied a certain spirit and and we're able to get them to buy into that, they then reflect that down to the people that they were leading. And so for a long time, Wildlife Solutions, well, and, and if you ask most of the people, I think most of the guys who ever worked with us, you know, they can probably talk to this, especially in the, in, you know, the first half of our, uh, our company's lifespan. I mean, we were, we were like a, a private club. We did all kinds of activities together outside of work, adventure trips. You know, we'd travel and take guys on fishing trips and hunting trips. And, and uh, we would all go camping together and have paintball wars and do all kinds of really, you know, manly stuff. Um, but that, and, and it was all real. It wasn't like we were trying to, you know, fool them into thinking they were something. We felt the same sense of loyalty and love toward them. Um, but that was a way, a tool or a method that we used within our company to really try and get our, our staff to believe in something, to believe that what they were doing was more than just a job, that they were just a part of something special and they were willing to go and go the extra mile and work harder and work longer and, 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 you know, really feel like they were not just an employee, but they were a part of a team, that they were part of something special. So that's, that's something that we, uh, you know, used within our business to, to help to achieve that um, so that they were doing it on their own. Because otherwise, if they're just an employee, you really have to do a lot of babysitting. Um, you know, and I know that sounds sort of derogatory, but it, I don't mean it that way. You have to do a lot more management. If a person is just there to do the job, you know, what, what is every person who works for any company, what, what do we want to do in general if you're not the owner? Like you want to make the most amount of money that you can expending the least amount of effort necessary generally, right? Yeah, right. That, so that's what an employee just naturally wants to do. And so if they don't, if they can get away with doing less, they're likely to do that. So the only way you can, you know, really ensure that they do more is to be on top of things, be knowing what's going on, be holding them accountable. And that's tricky in this business. If you were in a Burger King working cook line, you know, a manager is never more than 20 feet away from any employee. But with us, you know, we send these guys out in a truck blindly to go out and do the things we ask them to do. And we just can't see and know if when they got, 
in that attic to do an inspection, if they just poke their head up in the hatch, or if they actually crawl through the attic to get a full view and perspective of, of what was going on. Um, you know, finding ways within a person's company or team to create that same level, level of care um, as the owner would have is, is a large part of a successful model. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I've found relationships, you know, we have remote employees all over the country. You've, you've got to have relationships with them. You know, your managers need to be close to those guys and gals and, you know, they're, they're more likely to give you a two weeks notice. If you've built that relationship, if they're good people and you're taking care of them and we're doing everything that we can do to help them be successful and, and make as much, much money as possible while they're here, um, you're going to have less problems I found. And it's, it's super important. I, I like what you said about creating a brotherhood. You know, um, I always talk, whenever I talk to our, our team members, we're a team. We're, we're not, we're not just a, a company. We're a team and we try to do everything as a team. You know, we have morning meetings every day um, just so we can all talk and get together. And, and, you know, we do that over the phone because we're not all together um, in the same place. But, I really like what you said about that. And I, I think for me, the, the most impressive thing is going back to wildlife solutions is, you know, building that without a roadmap. How many times did you guys go four or two steps and then back three steps? <laughs> that was, that was just a daily reality for us uh, in, in so many ways. I mean, it, whether it's, whether it's just a process um, or a procedure that you're doing, you know, hey, we, you know, we think this is going to work and then find out it doesn't, or whether it was as we were adopting new technologies, you know, trying to be early adopters of things like uh, GPS units in vehicles. And, you know, some of those early technologies just really stunk and, and we would invest in hardware and everything only to find out that it ended up being junk and, and, you lose, you just wasted all that money and then you have to switch over to something that's better. Uh, so that, you know, that is just, you can't get discouraged uh, or, or really bogged down by that. That's just a reality of, of not just business, but of life, of growth, you know, that you're going to make mistakes, you're going to make decisions that um, don't end up working out. But the way I look at it is, did I make the best decision with the information I had at that moment? You know, 10 minutes from now, the information may be different. Maybe I would have made a different decision. But it's really, it's tough to second guess yourself because uh, you can really beat yourself up for that. If you, you know, trust yourself to make decisions based on the information you have at hand, you know, then run with it. And if it fails, then you learn from that and adjust and, and you just keep trucking forward. Yeah, absolutely. Don't give up. I, I always say, you know, the reason, you know, we all have challenges in business, but if you give up, you'll never really know what was around the corner. Um, so sometimes you have to pivot and do things completely different than how you're doing them today. But as, as long as you try to keep moving forward and doing what's best for you and your people, um, you'll, you'll always make it work and it'll, it'll be successful. So as, as far as, 
you getting into the industry though. So I want to go back to that because I'm just curious more than anything. So you saw a wildlife control truck and then from there, did you just jump right, jump right into the industry and, and work for another company or how did you get started? Ah, great question. My, my first thought is I think most people's first inkling would be, would be, uh, you know, I don't really know anything about the business. Um, at the time we're starting, there's no internet to go and, and do research on, on the industry. So I called critter control. I looked them up in the phone book and called and said, Hey, I'd like to apply for a job. And now granted I'm a college student. I'm a young guy. And so um, I get an interview and I remember going to the interview um, with a gentleman who was the owner of the critter control franchise. And I think he owned both Orlando and Tampa. His name was Ed Caro. Uh, and for people who've been in the industry a long time, he used to be really one of the, the big dogs within the critter control system. Um, but I had a meeting with Ed Caro. We sat down at a Dairy Queen and we talked and he told me a little bit about the business. And I, you know, told him what my interests were and what my background was. And he said, okay, yeah, we'd like to hire you. So um, if you can Monday morning be in this parking lot at this time to meet one of my guys and he'll pick you up and you can ride with him and he'll get you started. I said, okay, great. So like I am now ready to embark on this journey. I'm super excited. And then he says, oh, and by the way, um, here's some paperwork that you need to look over and sign and give that to him when he picks you up. So I take this paperwork and I go home and I start looking at it and it's a non-compete agreement. <laughs> and now I am not, I'm by no means business savvy or at this point in my life, you know, I don't really have never run a business before, but there's a certain basic level of common sense when you read a non-compete agreement as to what the intent and meaning of that document is. And I knew that I wanted to do this as a business. I knew at that early stage that I had found something that I thought was going to be a perfect fit for who I was, for my identity. And I was really um, convicted on a moral and spiritual level about this document that my intent is to start my own company if I sign this and I go to work for this guy, it would, just, it would be wrong. It would be a lie. And so I ended up calling him back and declining the job. I did not take the job uh, because of that non-compete agreement. Now, I've been in this business a long time. Most people I've ever worked with, employees, I've asked to sign non-compete agreements really just – didn't think it was worth the paper it was written on. And in some cases, if you went to, to defend one of those legally, sometimes that happens. But at the end of the day, you know, it just comes down to what a person believes, you know, themselves, what their moral character is. And, and for me, and I'm not trying to impose that on anyone else, say right or wrong. I'm just saying for me, I knew that I would not be being honest if, I signed that document knowing what my intents were. So I turned down the job, but I still decided that, you know, this 
was the right fit for me and I was just going to have to figure it out on my own. And I thought, wow. this is a great point in life to do it because I'm not married. You know, I don't have any kids. I don't have any real financial commitments or obligations. So if I do this and I fail, you know, it's early in life. Who am I hurting except myself? I lost a few years. So I felt like I didn't have as much to lose as if I had maybe started this when I was in my 30s and I was married and, and had responsibilities. I, I felt a certain freedom to try even if I failed at that stage in my life. So I uh, started writing letters. I started trying to find companies who manufactured traps by looking in the backs of magazines. You know, everybody used to have little ads in the back of a magazine. And, um, and I started sending letters out. Hey, can I get a catalog from you? Can I get a catalog from you? And, uh, and I may have, I don't remember exactly. I may have gotten a copy of an early copy of the wildlife control technology magazine. I don't remember if that was out when we started or not, but, um, but through that, I just basically bought a couple of traps and, and just started. Um, it, I had a pickup truck. I had a few traps. I thought, you know, I'm raring and ready to go. And, uh, you know, so we sat down, we kind of came up with a name. We came up with a, a document. It, it wasn't even really a contract. It was just like a service slip. And everything we did really from beginning to end was self-created. Like we didn't get an invoice from Critter Control and look at their contract language and say, hey, we're going to copy this. We're going to copy that. We just came up with it on our own. And we lost a lot of time and money because of that, because <laughs> we didn't have good contracts and people would take advantage of us and, and burn us. And, you know, oh boy, we better put that in the contract for next time so we don't get burnt on that. <laughs> and uh, the procedures that we employed were, you know, how would I do that? You know, here's a problem. How would I handle this? It wasn't how do other people do it? It was just like, how do I think this should be handled? And so that's, that's the way we approached business. And we just kind of built it one client at a time. And, and uh, my partner and I, we both worked second jobs for the first couple of years um, because basically what we were trying to do was take every dollar that we made and just put it back into the business so we could get one more tool, one more of this, one more of that. And, um, and, and, you know, that, uh, that persistence that you were alluding to earlier, that, that just unrelenting attitude that I don't care what, you know, problems get thrown at me. Like I refuse to quit that that was really what it took for us to succeed because at the time when we started this, like phone books were the ways that most service companies advertised. And honestly, I kind of missed that. There was a certain simplicity to that. that I, <laughs> I really wish yeah. we could go back to, but that right. was where everybody turned. If you needed a service, you went to the phone book. You mm -hmm. know, it was a very black and white, cut and dry. And so when we started, we bought, you know, a little small ad in the phone book and, they 
screwed up our ad. Like they put the wrong phone number in the ad. So no one could call you if they can't get your phone number. And you didn't have a website back then. So it wasn't like they could look you up that way. Right. And yeah. so our first year, I mean, we got very, very little work because our advertisement uh, was botched and the phone book was, you know, they didn't have any sympathy, wanted to fight us about, you know, giving us a free ad the following year. And we spent you know, six months fighting with them over something so silly. And, um, you know, but we had to just have this, this refusal to quit. And I think that that served us well, really, for, for the entire uh, duration of time that, that, um, that the company was open and, and continues on. You really have to have that kind of grit in order to, to adapt and adjust and, and to survive in a, in a changing environment and landscape. Absolutely. God. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I'm sure today you probably work, a, a, I'm guessing you work a lot less than you probably did um, at the, the top end of wildlife solutions. Um, because as you're growing, there's just never enough time. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, they go off and they start a business, they work for, for somebody else and they think, okay, I'm going to do this on my own now. And they don't actually realize how much more time it's going to take for them to run that business versus being an employee of a company. Um, because there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes that they don't even know about. And, you know, once you turn down that road and you start your business and, you, you know, you want it to be successful and you have all these other duties all of a sudden that fall into your lap that you never thought about. You go from working, you know, eight or 10 hours a day to, to 16 hours a day. And, and that's pretty much required if you want to grow, you know, and you, you're not, I, don't, I truly believe you're not going to grow your business unless you either have a, a team doing things for you or you're putting in that extra time every day. So after you're out running customers, you're, you're getting back home and you're working on your marketing or you're hiring a company to do your marketing for you. Um, talk a little bit about that and, and the amount of time that it probably took you guys to go from, you know, one location to how many locations did y'all get up to? Gosh, at our peak, <laughs> I don't know the number of locations, but we had offices as far West as St. Louis, um, we were in uh, Memphis, Charleston, Nashville. Um, we had an office in Kentucky, uh, offices throughout Florida. Um, we were we were southeastern based, and you know that was we were really in that expansion push at the time when the economy turned um, around 2008, 2009, wherever that that mark was and you know that quickly changed our plans and we had to go a completely different direction uh you know at that time um but uh now go back to what the original question was you, the second <laughs> yeah. the follow-up question was how big did we get or how far did we reach? yeah but so what was the original question i just want other people to hear that are that are you know trying to grow of the amount of time that it oh, takes yes. to when you're growing or if you want to grow, 
you're not I, I really don't think it's possible in this industry. Other industries, yes, but in this industry, in order for you to grow, you can't expect that you're gonna work nine to five and your business is just gonna blow up unless you just run into a bunch of capital and you got a, a team of people doing everything for you. I mean if you're if you're bootstrapping, which sounds like you guys did and that's what I did too, you've really got to put the time in. Yeah. Having a, a bunch of money and having a team of people that are going to do everything for you is a great way to lose that bunch of money. Uh, you really, <laughs> you have to know this business, in my opinion, in order to be successful. You have got to, if you want to have the respect of your team, you have, have to have put in the sweat equity and be willing to continue to put in the sweat equity because you're asking your team in this career field to do a lot, to sweat, to break their bodies to, uh, you know, to put their lives on the line when they're rappelling off the sides of buildings and doing things like this. You're asking them to do a lot of things in order to make your business successful. And they really have to believe that you're willing to do it too. In most instances is what I've experienced. You know, they, they have to believe in you and trust you and, and you have to know everything there is to know, but the amount of time, that you have to put into this the amount of energy is, is really off the charts because it, the way we used to explain it, even to our employees, is that once you get into the wildlife control field, this is not a job. I wouldn't even call it a career. We would tell them and explain to them in interviews that this is a lifestyle choice. Like this is something that will be with you day and night. You will be thinking about what's going on with your projects when you go to sleep at night. You know, where do I have to be tomorrow? What's going on? I wonder if I caught that animal. Gosh, I hope that, you know, this thing goes into that trap. You, you're going to live this. It will become your life. Everywhere you go, people are going to see the name on your shirt and people are going to ask you about, oh, what's the coolest thing you've ever caught? What's the craziest story you've got? So this, this is going to follow you everywhere. And so... It would, to explain to an, an entry-level employee that this is going to be a lifestyle choice, you take that and you magnify that a hundredfold for an owner. Like, you're thinking about this all the time. You're taking calls at night and on weekends. You're, you know, choosing to step away from your child's birthday party to take that phone call. And because it, if you want to be successful you have to be able to work harder than the next guy who's out there trying to, you know, work harder than you. So when you, when you take all of the, the time and, and energy and, and uh, mental energy investment that you put into this, even as an employee, and, and you look at it from an owner's perspective, and, and a lot of times employees – have a hard time doing that. They think, gosh, you know, I see all this money being made and I know how to do it. You know, I'm making this guy all this money. I'll just do it myself. But you kind of enter this, this entirely new universe when you get into having to now learn and understand marketing and, and accounting and advertising and, and management and, and business operations. And there, there's so many new traps, pardon the pun, for you to fall into um, if you 
make mistakes now in all these new areas. So as an owner, um, you know, there, there's, you just can't, can't put a, a number or a label on how much that you have to be willing to give of yourself in order to be successful because it, it really is something that becomes your life in this business. It's not something that you, that you get to, to turn off. And even as, as you grow and, and wildlife solutions got pretty big and we built this office team and had infrastructure in place and all, using all kinds of technologies, that doesn't mean that you get to check out say, Hey, uh, now we finally built all this and invested in all this. We've got it running. I finally get to rest. <laughs> no, yeah. you don't, man. Now you've got to make sure that all this stuff is operating the way it's supposed to. And that nobody's trying to, you know, now that there's all these layers, it's easier for people to hide things, you know, yep. cause you're not, you're not hands on with every aspect of what's going on as much as you'd like to be. It's impossible. So it's easier for people to pull the wool over your eyes and to steal from you or take shortcuts on projects or it, it, it's just the, the work just changes. It doesn't necessarily get less or get easier. It just changes. And, you know, but that's, that's the reality of this. And if you're willing to accept that challenge, if you're willing to accept you know, what comes along with it. There's, there's also a lot of reward. Um, but the one other thing that I will mention in, in the same conversation as, as all this time and, and energy that you commit to this is your family. You, I have, I have witnessed a lot of people in this business over the years that I've worked with whose family lives fell apart. And that's really unfortunate. And, 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 you know, and everybody's relationship is different, but it really makes this whole thing easier. If you have a relationship, if the person who you're partnered with is supportive and encouraging of this, because it, you're going to, you're going to be very distracted you're going to have a lot of times that you have to travel or you have to be here or you have to leave some event or can't you get home late. You know, if, if your spouse or is expects you to be home at five o'clock every day, cause supper is going to be on the table. It's going to be a real challenge, you know? Um, so having a supportive and understanding partner um, is in my opinion, if you're in a relationship is really critical to being successful in this as well, because, you know, you don't get to turn it off. And so they have to live this, this journey with you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember with my wife now, when we were just dating, I always had a catch pole and a trap in the back of my truck. And, you know, everywhere we went, if we were on the way to go get dinner, you know, at seven 30 at night and I got a call, you damn right. I went out there and, and took care of it no matter what I was wearing you know, because that was important. Um, right. That was revenue. It was like, hey, look, babe, this is going to pay for dinner. This is going to pay for a truck payment. <laughs> um, you know, and she was very understanding. And, you know, you got to make that clear on the front end of that relationship as things get serious of, look, 
this is extremely important. And if I don't take advantage of opportunities, there might be a slow week or uh, bad weather or whatever that's going to inhibit our revenue. We've got to make sure to, to take advantage of that every opportunity. So, you know, it's, it's definitely tough and I'm, I, I would hate it for anybody if, if that hurt their relationship. But I think just setting that expectation with them, um, because if you're going to grow a business, the amount of time and energy, like you said, that, that goes into that, um, it's a lot. It really is a lot. Uh, but I think too, you know, as you grow and you get the right people working for you, the right managers, you know, we have three regional managers and you, you do have those multiple layers, but as you, you, you eventually do get to a point where you're still working just as much, but you do have a, a little bit more flexibility, you know, to spend time with those people. It's more so phone calls than, uh, than it is out there in the field doing things. Uh, and that's, that's what I've found at least. Um, you've got to have an incredible management structure and, you know, it's taken us years to build that and it doesn't happen overnight, you know, to, to have people in your business that you trust and that you like, and then you actually enjoy spending time with helping you run your business and also giving them the opportunity financially to get ahead um, and, and be along that, that journey with you um, is, is super important. I think. You're right. They have to, they have to believe in, in you as the owner, they have to believe in your business model. Um, they have to have that opportunity to grow individually, um, whether it's, you know, grow professionally through training and, and, you know, they're, growing as a, as a professional, as a person, but also to grow financially. You know, everybody wants to find financial success and, and support their families. And a lot of times the very best people that we find in this, in this business, people who have an owner's mentality, who lead like they're an owner are best suited to be an owner. And if that opportunity really never arises for that kind of growth, they will seek it elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, but you're, but you're right. That, that team that you build around you um, is, is super important if you want to be able to get to the point where, you know, you're not literally doing every task. Um, but your work, you know, it, it, just, it just changes. I, you know, I, I'd hate for anybody to think that as soon as, as I get big, everything gets easy. It doesn't get easy. It just gets different. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a new set of challenges, a new set of problems, but that comes with any business on the planet. It's not limited to our industry. Uh, you know, you have to, just cause you make it to the top, it just puts a bigger target on your back. You have to work just as hard, if not harder to stay there because everybody wants to a piece of your success. Yeah, for sure. Um, when, when, when you're growing to, you know, one challenge, I think a lot of new guys have as, as they begin to grow and they hire that first, second and third employee is letting go a little bit and, and letting them kind of make mistakes on their own. 
um, and, and, and trusting them. You, you have to. I, I think that when you micromanage people and you follow up on every little thing that they're doing, and not only are you going to be working a lot more, but I think most people don't want to be micromanaged and you're probably not going to have the, the best results. I, I think overall, if, if you can let go and have the right training in place and the right processes and systems, it's going to be a lot easier for you than, than just, you know, letting them do their own thing. Um, I know for me, it was terrifying when I hired the first person and just kind of let them do their own thing. Cause for years I'd been doing it on my own. Nobody else was working under me. And I felt like I had the best customer service possible. You know, everybody loved us. We never had any issues. We never had any refunds. And then all of a sudden we have, I have somebody new out there representing my company. How, did you ever have any challenges with, with letting go like that? Significant challenges. I, I'm, I'm a detail oriented person and it's probably, and, and in some ways that's a strength. Um, but it, it inevitably leads to being critical of other people's work, um, to this tendency uh, to micromanage and, and it is, it is hard to release that when you have somebody that you know is not, doesn't know as much as you is not going to do as good a job as you um, to let that go. And, and I would tell you that that, sort of being reflecting on myself, looking at those characteristics of, of my own personality in some ways, I think hurt, um, our business. Uh, we never, wildlife solutions never went down really the franchise path, like critter control did. They grew by largely by franchising. We grew through like internal company growth. And the primary reason that we decided to grow that way was primarily for quality control. Um, we were frustrated for our clients a lot of times when they would tell us that they had, and by no means, and forgive me if this sounds like I'm using critter control as a punching bag, I'm really not. Um, they have a lot of tremendous operators within their system. But you know, at the time when, when we were going through this, a, a critter control franchise, just like any other business, is only as good as the owner, right? So the, in some markets, they had great owners who did a fantastic job. And in other markets, they had owners that were not so great. And that was reflected in what customers were experiencing, you know, as an end product, the experience they had with their technicians, the the quality of the work that was done, things like that were really um, lacking. And so we were seeing that in some areas and we were just thinking, you know, this is not what we want our identity to be. We would not want to be associated with that. 
um, we want to make sure that, you know, again, me being this very detailed person that, you know, every single client gets this perfect product and this perfect outcome. Now, had, had I been more willing to release some of that and accept that, you know, we might not get it right every time. We're going to try and we're going to train, but sometimes we're going to fail. If I had been more willing to accept that premise, we, the, the state of how things are today might have been very different. We might have taken that, our model, and franchised it and run with it and been everywhere. But, you know, I was so concerned about the individual end experience for a consumer and making sure that that basically received my stamp of approval. That that was, that was what we, the, the idea that we built our company around um, of trying to, to get every technician, every outcome to be as good as if I had done it myself. And, um, and that's a really, really hard thing to let go. And that can hinder you um, in a business. And it, and it did us. It definitely hamstrung us and, and prevented us maybe from, if, if I was more business-minded in the sense of just accepting that, that maybe this, this ideal of perfection was, was not quite as realistic yeah. as I was, this fantasy I had in my mind. Um, you know, we might have made different business choices, different, different business decisions, maybe have driven some of our technicians a little less crazy over the years. But it's a very, very hard thing to let go of. And, you know, I think every owner is going to be different in terms of what their tolerance is for that. I remember us having a conversation at a, uh, at a conference with the gentleman, and I can't remember his name right now. And I'm just terrible with names, naturally. But um, he was, it wasn't Kevin Clark, the owner of Critter Control, but it was the gentleman who for a long time was basically their ran the company, right? He was uh -huh. Kevin Clark's right-hand man. He was their director of operations, whatever you want to call him. Um, really, really nice guy. Uh, and I remember we were having a conversation with him one day about like, you know, just a very honest and heartfelt, like, you know, how, how do you, how can you accept the fact that, you know, in some markets, um, guys are just running them poorly and just damaging your reputation of, of this, this great company that you've built, you know, how can you accept that? And, and he basically just said, you know, that's just part of business. So when that happens, we just kind of have to let it run its course. We sh eventually we'll shut down the franchise. We'll let things lie for a while and give the market and the people kind of time to forget a little bit. And then we'll, plug somebody new in there and you know, before long we're back up and running the way it should be. And, you know, I was, I was so idealistic that I thought, gosh, I just, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if that's the way we did it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and you can look at the outcomes, you know, while solutions no longer exist <laughs> and critter controls around the country. So, I mean, that's something to learn from, though, that yeah. 
that idea that, you know, at some point you got to let go a little bit <laughs> and yeah. give these guys a chance to, to do what you train them to do and to trust them, you know, to a reasonable level. Um, Absolutely. To do what they've been trained to do. You, you made me think about that movie, the founder about the founder of McDonald's when they went to go visit or he went to go visit a couple franchises and, you know, McDonald's was selling fried chicken and spaghetti and lasagna, just completely doing their own thing. Um, not following the, the franchise manual. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I think in the very beginning I was a pain in the butt to work for because I was, I was just all over everybody. And so, worried and and fearful of any issues and trying to make sure everybody was happy. And if we got a customer complaint, it was like the end of the world and everybody knew about it in the company. And, you know, now I realize how valuable my time is and I only have so much time each day and I've got to make the best of my time. And, you know, whatever that gentleman's name was, the director of critter control, I, I think he's right. I mean, you, you kind of have to, as you're growing or once you get to a, a decent size, as you have problems, you know, you kind of just deal with them as they come. But, you know, you, you don't just utilize all of your time and resources over that one problem. Otherwise, it's going to bog you down and it's impossible to grow. Because as the owner, one thing that I've really done, and I'm sure you have too, um, is working on the business and not in the business, which is out of a book called The E-Myth from Michael Gerber. If you've ever read it, if you haven't, you should. And, and he actually talks a lot about the McDonald's franchise and different franchise systems in that book. And it's incredibly true because if you are taking every customer complaint, if you are you know, looking through every customer invoice and you're taking every phone call, um, and responding to every email that comes in and you're doing everything, there's only so much time in the day. So you're not going to be able to grow if you're not spending any time on growth. If you're just managing the business, you're not growing the business, you're managing the business. So getting you, you have to first get yourself big enough to where financially you can support managers to manage. And then as the owner step back and look at the bigger picture, which clearly you guys did with wildlife solutions. Otherwise I know you wouldn't have grown it. So, I mean, how long did it take you guys to get there um, where, where you could actually start working on the business? Well, it, you know, one of the things about the way we did it, we never took any business loans. We never did anything like that. We never had, a pocket a bank, you know, account that was full of cash that we could infuse into the business. We had to do it literally one job at a time. And so, you know, initially it growth was slow for us, but you know, that idea of working to develop and, and grow the business was just something that I was committed to doing. So I was willing to put in those extra hours, work at night, work on weekends to, to accomplish those things. Cause that was, if you were always focused on field work and never focused on, you know, the, the development side of your business and improving the business, um, then you'll just stay stagnant. You'll stay right where you're at. 
so it, it was a slow process for us um, because we had to, not only did we have to figure out how to do it, but we had to do it very slowly because we had to do it with our own earned capital, uh, you know, in order to get there. But, um, you know, one, one comment I want to make on that whole idea of growth is I, I think that it is just a natural thing for people who are entrepreneurial in mind or spirit. If you have that sense of entrepreneurism that, that you just have, you know, this courage, this, this passion, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to go out there and, and conquer things. The idea of growth, it just comes naturally with that. Like you just want to go out and win, you know, and, and our idea of winning in that is I'm going to be better than the next guy. I'm going to be bigger. And, 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 you know, eventually I'm going to, you know, conquer, uh, you know, this, this business, this industry. And, and we felt that way. You know, I felt that way as a young man, you know, I, I want to be the biggest. I want to be this worldwide, whatever, you know, we had these, these great big dreams. And so you're trying to, to fulfill those. Um, but I would, the more mature, older me now would suggest <laughs> to people, to people in this field that, that that is not necessarily the right path for everyone. You know, growth does not necessarily have to be equated with this exponential ongoing forever. We have to get bigger, 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 bigger. It, you can, you can think about, you know, how big maybe you want to, because with that growth comes other issues, other challenges, other problems come along with it. You know, set goals for yourself. And then when you get to wherever that place is that you want to be, and maybe you want to be nationwide, maybe you just want to be in several markets around your state, then, you know, think through where that happy place is for you and then focus on being the best you can at that, at that level, you know, focus on tweaking your business to then to become the most profitable, to have, you know, the least amount of overheads, the best quality to, to, you know, you can focus on other things beyond growth, but every, every company doesn't necessarily need to be nationwide. Um, you know, the, the landscape is very different today than it was when I started in this in the 90s. You know, there, the, the Terminixes of the world were not doing wildlife control. Yeah. Know? There, there are a whole different set of challenges now about what a wildlife control operator goes up against. And, and there are some walls to climb that are far greater than I had to climb, uh, you know, as I was walking this path. Um, you know, so it, you know, I would say that to really spend some time thinking about your growth plan and where you want to be, because there's other ways to grow beyond just size, you know, growing in, in your profitability, growing in your efficiency, um, growing in some of these other ways can also bring you satisfaction, can bring you more money in your pocket, uh, I don't know, just a, a little yeah. wisdom there. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, one, one thing I think is for sure 
before anybody goes and says, okay, I'm going to open up my second, my third location, whatever, you really should be able to, you should be dominating your current market before you, you go anywhere else. You know, if you don't have that first market figured out and you don't have all the kinks figured out in your business and you're not as profitable as you should be, um, you don't have the right team in place because that, that first market that you live in, um, and, and that you started off in, I think that that should be your biggest market. Um, and if it's not, then you should move to a different city that might be your biggest market because that, that first market, you're going to have the most, um, you're going to have the most close, you're going to have the closest relationships with those people because you're able to see them on a daily basis. And, and it's not intentional at all, but I definitely have the best relationships with, with our home office in Jacksonville, just because I see them the most, right. And that's where I live. That's where my office is. And I'm able to see that team on a regular basis and the rest of the team, I'm not able to see as much because there's just not, not enough time um, to go everywhere and, and see everybody all the time. So before you say, okay, I'm going to expand all over the country. I think it's super important. You just get that first location down to a science and you're, you're able to, to really get some good revenue coming in. You're profitable. And then you can make that decision of, do I want to go anywhere else? Because I think some guys open up multiple locations before they've, they've really dominated that local market. And they realize, man, I should have just grown where I am because I, I might've been a lot happier. I wouldn't have to travel as much. I wouldn't, wouldn't have to worry about, you know, somebody quitting in, in a, a different city, you know, a hundred, 200, 300 miles away. Um, and, you know, lifestyle design is extremely important. If, if you're not prepared to travel and be away from your girlfriend or wife for a period of time, um, you definitely don't want to open up a lot of locations. How, how often did you travel when y'all were all, all over the country? Regularly. I mean, it, it, you not, I, I wouldn't, the more we grew, the more we could, you know, um, distribute the traveling amongst other people. But inevitably, we traveled, you know, on a daily or weekly basis. Um, I traveled routinely. Um, we got to the point where eventually when we would do company-wide meetings, we would do them, you know, it, we would try to do them in a in a single location and, and just bring everybody into one city and, and do that. But there were other times when we had to do training where we just hit the road for a week and go to this office and spend a day with that team and train and go to this office and spend a day with that week and train, uh, you know, spend a week there and train. Um, it, it, travel is just, it has to be like, it can't be scary. You know, driving to, Charleston, South Carolina, became no different to me than driving a half mile up the road to Publix. You know, it was not, it, I just got so used to the drive and the road. It, you know, it, it didn't seem far at all anymore when you drive it enough times. I guess that's how it is for, you know, a cross-country trucker. They, they just get so used to it. It becomes just their, their way of life um, that it, it's no longer intimidating. But, but yeah, travel comes with it. And 
you know, when, when you grow in this business, in, in this wildlife control industry, you don't expand with an idea. You, you have to su- expand with a successful model. So, you know, having a great idea of a business is not enough to say, okay, man, boy, now I'm going to plant this idea in this city, in this city, in this city. You have to really be confident that you have perfected your model. Because if you have a broken model, a model that is not very effective or has flaws in it, and then you go and you duplicate that, you put that somewhere else where you have less influence over it because you are not physically present as often the weaknesses of your model are really going to be magnified. You know, you're going to find all the ways that you're bleeding money and and losing, (coughs) losing business. And um, so, so to your point of making sure that you've got it down pat in your own home market is, uh, you know, can really cannot be more true. Make sure that you've got a pretty foolproof, successful model before you try to plug that in somewhere else. Absolutely. Well, Steve, we're at about a little over an hour now, and I know that you got other things to do and I got other things to do today, but I just want to say I I really appreciate your time. If you're ever in Jacksonville or driving through Jacksonville, please reach out to me and I'll do the same next time I'm in your neck of the woods. Um, If anybody wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Well, emailing me is probably my preferred form of communication, although I love to talk as well uh, on the phone, but um, anybody can reach out to me at steve at drcritter.com and that's doctor as D-R. So it's steve at D-R-C-R-I-T-T-E-R.com. Um, that's the best way to reach me. And, and I'll tell you, I appreciate this, this podcast that you're doing, honestly, because, you know, as I explained earlier, there, there were no instruction manuals when we got into this. And so, you know, if, if there are folks out there who can learn from my experiences or gain wisdom from some of the things that we went through and, and know that a lot of things I think that are out there in this industry, some of the procedures and processes are stuff that, you know, either we developed or, or you know, originated with, with some of the things that Wildlife Solutions learned and tried over the years. Uh, you know, I love being a part of that conversation. So um, don't ever hesitate to to call me or if, or if there's any, you know, further uh, wisdom that I can share on, on your podcasts, uh, you know, I'm always happy to do it. Awesome, man. Really appreciate you. Um, and, uh, you know, thank you for, for having the courage to go out and, and uh, build that company up and, and sticking with our industry. I know a lot of people have a lot of respect for you and I'm definitely one of them. Um, brought up some, some great points that I'm definitely going to use in my business. I took a lot of notes as you were talking. I'm a big fan of note-taking. So um, really, really appreciate it. And uh, guys, as always, happy trapping. And everybody go out there and be successful. Thank you. Thank you.